Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Business Owners Radio, where established business owners get the latest insights, strategies, and practices to grow a sustainably profitable business. And now, taking care of business, your hosts, Craig Moen and Shai Gilad. Welcome to Business Owners Radio, Episode 18. In today's show, we'll be talking to author Dr. Kathy Ober about her new book, Turn the Tide, Rise Above Toxic, Difficult Situations in the Workplace. Kathy's going to tell us about proven frameworks from her book that can help you achieve better teamwork, performance, and productivity in your organization. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Shai. How are you this morning? Man, a little slow going after the Super Bowl yesterday. Hey, way past your bedtime, you know? <laughs> so to speak. But it was fun. I mean, what a, what a game. What a defensive struggle. Oh, man, they were nicely matched. They had great performance coming into that game. And so the expectations were high. And both of them were really ready. Yeah, it was really exciting. And, you know, it's funny the way I just I have to hand it to Denver's defense for just deciding that they were going to win that game. It reminded me of the Ravens-Giants back in, I think it was 2003, when Trent Dilfer was the quarterback. I mean, they had Trent Dilfer versus Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, I'm sure Peyton definitely improved their success chances. But the Ravens, a lot of people didn't give them a chance in that game, even though they had such a great defense. And the Ravens just took that game over. And that's what we saw Denver do. Yeah, and in prior events, the Panthers have been walking through the defensive teams without any problem at all. So it's really going to be a great match yeah it was fun to watch i know a lot of people thought it was you know frustrating game to watch but if you really like football especially if you like defense it was a pretty cool game and speaking of great teams and you look at coming into this year as a business owner looking at where do i want to invest to increase my productivity client referrals and customer satisfaction where do i want to invest With today's topic of toxic work environments and the cost of toxic employees, sounds like a grand opportunity. No doubt, Craig. And, you know, the cost, I mean, to put a number on this, it's incredible. You know, I was reading a HBR article on this. It's actually just from this last December called It's Better to Avoid a Toxic Employee Than Hire a Superstar. And they did some research. They looked at 11 global companies and over 58,000 worker hours. And they found that roughly one in 20 workers was ultimately fired for toxic behavior. And so what they calculated was that avoiding a toxic employee can save a company more than twice as much as bringing on a star performer. Specifically, avoiding the toxic worker was worth about 12500 in turnover costs. But even the top 1% of superstar employees only added about 5300 bucks to the bottom line. And in another survey, a 2012 Career Builder survey found that 41% of the nearly 2,700 employers that they surveyed estimated a bad hire could cost $25,000, and a quarter believed it was much higher at more $50,000 or more. So if I'm looking at investments for 2016, it sounds like looking inside the company is one of the best returns on investment. Yeah, Craig, it really is. And our guest today, Dr. Kathy Ober, has written a book about just this topic. Her book is called Turn the Tide, Rise Above the Toxic, Difficult Situations in the Workplace. Good morning, Kathy. Welcome to Business Owners Radio. Good morning. I'm delighted to be here. And we are delighted to have you. Excited to talk to you about your new book, Turn the Tide, Rise Above Toxic, Difficult Situations in the Workplace. Tell us what inspired you to write this book. You know, when I was in a workplace, I often felt 
that the environment was not conducive to productivity. I always didn't feel valued. And then when I was a leader and a manager, there were often difficult situations, dysfunctional dynamics, and I didn't have the tools or the understanding on how to effectively engage or to train the employees how to respond. And for the last three decades, I've been doing coaching and consulting, and I've realized that many, many leaders were not trained how to effectively create inclusive, respectful environments where everyone can be productive and innovative. And so I wanted to write this book so that everyone could have easily accessible, practical tools that they can use to create respectful workplaces where everyone is engaged and everyone can contribute to the success of the organization. And Kathy, clearly you have, as you've said, decades of experience and you're a true expert on this topic. And I want to ask you, why are we so bad at this? I don't think we center people and public relations in the work environment. I think we're so focused on profit, productivity, getting services to customers. We don't put as much emphasis on how we treat each other in the workplace or realize that our customers really do deserve employees that feel valued and supported. The other thing is, for years, I was a leader and a manager, and I didn't realize how old issues or unresolved conflicts in my past were influencing how I then showed up in the moment. I might feel triggered or have an emotional reaction, a hot button push, and I didn't know why until I started to do this research and learn that how I showed up in the moment had sometimes much more to do with my past than what was actually happening in front of me. And hearing you talk about that, I mean, most organizations, especially small businesses, don't really provide the resources, and I think it's because the business owners don't really have good resources to address these issues. Even larger organizations with training and development and human resources may not have them. I think we've drawn a line between what work looks like and what might be happening outside in either human resources or social service agencies or in the classrooms. And yet, unless people can be full integrated human beings at work, they're not going to have the tools and skills to respond if someone is unconsciously reacting in unproductive ways or being a bully or dominating. We just don't have the tools and skills, and particularly small businesses, unless folks are naturals at this, they may not have the resources to send people to workshops or bring people in to do professional development. Yeah, and and to even identify that that's uh, something that they could focus on. We know a lot of small business owners struggle, just like large businesses do, with developing and maintaining a culture and certainly have the same types of engagement frustrations and why is it so hard to find good people and why are they so hard to manage? And a big part of it is just this core lack of understanding around how we think and how we show up. And we talk to small business owners and the business is always a reflection of themselves. So whatever it is that they carry into it, it starts there. Well, that was true when I was a leader. I thought the employees weren't as productive or professional. And it wasn't until I looked at my own behaviors and realized that I was being more demanding, dictatorial than inclusive and participative or I was reacting out of hot buttons, and they didn't know when I was going to be an effective leader and when I might be too curt or shut down and pull away. And so I really had to start with my own leadership and understand why I showed up in ways that sometimes created the conflicts that, in fact, I was frustrated with. Kathy, so many situations, you've got the dynamics of the office place, and there are toxic environments. How many times do you find that the leader is the source of creating that toxic environment? More often than we would expect. And the leaders might be the demanding, irritable, quick-to-react, micromanaging type of leader, which is mostly the common stories that I hear of dysfunctional leaders. And they may just think they're being a strong 
productive leader because no one's willing to give them feedback because they're afraid for losing their job or maybe not getting promotion. But there's another type of leader that I find equally challenging, and that's the one that sits back in more of a laissez-faire and believes that if they're just collaborative and cooperative and caring, then employees will rise to the occasion. But in those situations, often the next level down might be the one that's the bully or the one that's so controlling and demanding that the workplace is a place of fear and toxicity and that second leader doesn't have the skills to then find their voice and actually intervene in ways to hold people accountable for being good managers. Another one that comes to mind is you have the toxic office environments and new to the recent times are the remote employee or the very distributed workplace. Any thoughts how that rolls out? You've identified significant challenges today as organizations are trying to cut costs and streamline. And so it's much harder for me, at least, to develop relationships over technology. When you're one-on-one and you're with people throughout the entire week, you can observe behaviors, you can do coaching in small moments before and after meetings or during conversations. But remote operations are usually very tasky, an hour at a time. And so leaders and managers, I believe, have to have much more proactive approach to build those relationships, set expectations, get to know those employees, try to talk about the culture and the climate that they intend to create in face-to-face as well as remotely. And then, to be honest, after every call, to have some debrief. How effectively did this call work? How productive were we? What else could we do to be effective? Did anyone feel triggered? Were there some dynamics that we need to navigate differently as we work together, especially remotely? And then to be able to do coaching and supervision over the phone outside of the productive workplace task type of meetings. You know, those skills are so critically important for leadership, understanding how to give and receive feedback and understanding some basic coaching skills around debrief and understanding other people's triggers as well as your own. And again, it's just so interesting to me that we have not yet evolved to understand this. I mean, you're actually giving us some new language to discuss this. And to that end, I was curious about your seven-step triggering event cycle. Tell us a little bit about that and what inspired the creation of that cycle. I used to believe I was either calm and effective or triggered. And even when I felt triggered and emotional, I thought it was the other person's responsibility. They pissed me off. They embarrassed me. They were incompetent. And so it was lots of good coaching from mentors and clear confrontation that helped me realize that how I react in the moment is my responsibility. No one makes me angry or irritates me. In fact, I react to the comment or the behavior in a way that has me angry. And so I've developed a seven-step triggering event cycle to help me and others understand that at any moment in a difficult, toxic moment, I can intervene. If I notice that I start to feel more tense or I'm clicking a pen or I start to sweat or I'm turning red, those physiological reactions are clues that I'm beginning to have an emotional reaction. Or if I start to have thoughts like, I'm a failure, I'm not able to do this, or they're inappropriate, they're jerks, those judgmental thoughts, I can interrupt those and change my thoughts in that moment so that I think, I've handled this before, I can do this, I wonder what's going on for them. Are they triggered? Did I do something? And if I change my thoughts, I then influence that my emotions de-escalate. And when my emotions, instead of a plus eight, you know, high emotions, if I get them down to a two or three or four, I'm able to think more clearly and choose a response instead of automatically acting. What I find when I teach the triggering events cycle, people realize they usually respond in one of three stressful ways, fight, flight, or freeze. And when I'm unconscious and responding automatically, when I've been triggered, 
then I either get possibly more aggressive or I disappear and get more quiet or I literally leave the room or disappear in the moment. I may still be on the phone remotely or in person, but I'm not participating. And we can train employees and managers to notice those difficult moments when many people may feel triggered and emotionally have greater emotion than they can think clearly. There are many tools that they can learn in the cycle, changing their thoughts, changing their physiological reactions, changing their intentions of how they want to respond in the moment instead of put someone down or put them in their place. It could be to ask questions because I'm curious what was behind their reactive comment. And so at any point in that seven-step cycle, we can stop, notice where we are, and intervene with a tool that's specific to that point in the cycle that has us be more productive and more effective and create greater performance in the moment. I noticed you were talking about your emotions and you were saying being a plus eight versus a minus two, that this is some kind of a scale that you've created as a way to calibrate and think about where you are, like a self-assessment tool? In the moment, you can literally scan your body and realize how emotional am I with zero being kind of a neutral, calm every day. Because you can be triggered into positive emotions. I can be so excited and so overwhelmed with passion that I lose my thoughts or I respond in ways where I'm not thinking. Usually when people are positively triggered, they're more thoughtful, or at least their reactions aren't the toxic dysfunctional dynamic. So it's usually the negative emotion. So if I'm deeply triggered into embarrassment or shame or anger or fear, and I'm a minus seven, eight, or nine, then I'm usually not able to think clearly. And so if I can de-escalate my emotions from, say, a minus eight down to a minus four, I'll be much more able to think clearly, diagnose the situation, and usually... If I ask two or three questions, that gives me enough time, especially if I'm deep breathing, to de-escalate my emotions so I can think more clearly and get enough data from the other folks to choose a response that's effective in that moment. Kathy, how would you characterize the element of looking at how people react and the reactive response versus emotional maturity that's talked about in other books? That's a great question. A lot of books are looking at emotional intelligence and EQI and those sorts of things, and there are actually some similarities in that many people do not develop emotional maturity until they've had several years, if not more, in the workplace. I know it took me a while before I had the presence to be in the moment, choosing my responses, and not just reacting emotionally all the time. And emotions are very powerful in the workplace. I think that's one of the challenges in traditional work environments as we ask people to leave their emotions and their whole person at the door and just come be task-oriented. And yet we're whole people. And so to teach people how to recognize their emotions and how to scale them in a way so they respond effectively and not be out of control with their emotions, that would be the emotional maturity and the skills I'd be looking for. And then some of the tools in the book help people realize why they feel so emotional and triggered in the workplace. So again, it's not that someone triggered me or someone made me angry. It's what did I bring into this moment? My fears, my anxieties, maybe this is the fifth time someone has interrupted me or talked over me. And so I'm at cumulative impact. And so the tools and skills to recognize why I feel triggered and then how do I choose to respond in this moment, not out of old issues, not out of cumulative impact, but what's really going on in this moment. That's emotional maturity. I love that notion of cumulative impact. And again, you're giving us language and you're giving these employees and these leaders language to have these discussions. In chapter three, Kathy, you discuss seven types of intrapersonal roots. And this is the place where a lot of triggers come from. And this was some of the most exciting new information that I learned personally and in my research. 
that when I come to the workplace, if I am stressed because I was up half the night with a kid or someone is dying in my family or I have the flu but I'm still trying to come to work, if my current life vision's dynamics have depleted my shield, then comments and issues and stress will impact me much more quickly and deeply. And so I might react out of that intrapersonal route. Or as you mentioned before, cumulative impact. If this is the third or fourth time someone else has taken credit for my work, or I notice a dynamic in the workplace that newer employees are cut off, interrupted, but if you've been here 30 years, your idea gets lauded and appreciated. (laughs) So if I notice these dynamics, and then if you add gender or race to these dynamics, and these dynamics are happening outside the workplace, and then in the workplace, you notice that who the leader turns to as their right-hand person seems to be the same people, or they seem to be people who happen to be male or happen to be white, then the cumulative impact of those dynamics, the next time something happens that's similar, my reaction might be bigger than that moment. It's almost like a tea kettle that's been simmering and then will whistle cumulative impact. I also know that in the past, many people have had issues that have been difficult, dysfunctional, even traumatic, that have not been resolved. And so I know I have many examples that in the moment in the workplace, someone will say something and I'm reacting not only to them, but to two or three other people from my past that I wasn't able to talk with as effectively. And I'm still hurt, angry, or I'm carrying shame or guilt. I know I've had many stories of folks that older white men would be very triggering for them. And as I've worked with them and talked with them, they've been able to talk about former supervisors or even family members that were very inappropriate and dysfunctional. And as they've done healing around those older issues and wounds and found their voice to be able to speak the truth about the past, then in the moment, the person who was the source of the trigger is only an individual today not reflecting the other folks from the past that are still unresolved in these intrapersonal roots. And there's several others that I could talk about as well. Yeah, and I know that you have a section on biases and how all of these different things can affect us. And I can't help thinking about, you know, when you talk about gender and race, how blind auditions, and we've seen this with orchestras, with experiments to eliminate or reduce gender bias, and some of these other things can happen, and how sometimes, even in the workplace, to reduce interview bias in the same way that we're having this conversation right now. People having remote conversations where they don't see each other can actually increase their effectiveness because it reduces some of that bias of who's speaking. Add to that someone's name or the accent they use could also trigger in folks unconscious or conscious biases. And so while I may not see you, if I know your name is associated with a different ethnic or racial group or the way you speak English is associated for someone with a racial group or part of the world, If they have positive biases, that may help, but usually they're negative biases. And most organizations, especially small and medium businesses, don't have the resources to help employees unpack their biases, to get honest and talk about the type of work situations that might be full of prejudice or stereotypes, especially as we serve customers and we're trying to expand our reach and have niches that really serve the full breadth of increasingly diverse client bases. Too often, managers and employees' behavior to each other as well as to customers comes out of these unconscious re-triggered biases that come out on our tone, how much time we spend with folks. And customers know, they can tell, and they will take their business somewhere else, and employees will take themselves somewhere else. And so if you have a high retention issue, if you start to look at, is there a pattern 
Are they younger employees or new employees? Is there a pattern by gender or race or disability or nationality? Then you might realize it's more going on here than people moving on to a more effective job. They actually might be leaving because the climate is more toxic related to bias and prejudice. Kathy, these toxic environments and our reference to the leader, do you have an example of where you've worked with a leader that this situation arose? Thinking of a particular senior leader that first came to me because her relationship with several people on her peer executive team and then her direct CEO were not anywhere as productive as she would want them to be. Some of them were more bullying to her, some were discounting, taking credit for her work. And so as we worked in coaching, she was able to be much more effective engaging her peers. And then she brought up how she was beginning to hear that one of her direct reports that the employees that worked with him, they were not happy. Now, when he worked with her and she supervised him, she was her compassionate, caring self and thought that he was doing very effective work until they did either a 360 or a skip level. And she realized that actually there was some significant dysfunction in his core group. And when she went with talk with him after several meetings, he would agree, yes, I'll change. And then she noticed no behavior change. So when we talked, we explored what was keeping her from being more direct and more accountable. And as we role-played some situations where she was much more clear and accountable, she recognized there were some of those deep interpersonal roots from very old family and other dynamics that had her believing that she had to only be a certain kind of leader, particularly as a woman. And as she developed her skills to be more clear, more direct, with care and compassion, she found that several more meetings with this direct, he was much more able to hear her very clear message. And she was clear that his job depended upon his behavior change because she would no longer tolerate his bullying, dysfunctional behavior. And after three or four sessions, he got clear and he changed his behavior. Now, it wasn't overnight because the skills to be able to be effective can take a while to learn. But she also got him coaching and some work with HR. And so his clearly his bullying behavior diminished and he became somewhat more effective, at least less dysfunction. Do you find when dealing with bullies in the workplace, or certainly let's just say that type of behavior in the workplace, do you find that the subjects that are the ones that are doing the bullying are difficult to change? I personally have found that being a peer and trying to work effectively and model effective behavior has not always been helpful, that it often has taken supervision and having performance become a part of the conversation. I also know as I've coached folks that have bullying behavior, under that often is fear, self-doubt, need to control, which are all interpersonal issues that are very common. Sometimes they don't come out in bullying behavior. But when people don't feel very powerful, when they think they have the opportunity, they can get a sense of power by getting their way and making people do what they want. It is possible for folks that are controlling, micromanaging, bullying to change. Coaching can be very effective, but usually has to be within the line of supervision so that their supervisor and leader is holding them accountable for the change in behavior so that they're open to looking at why they show up that way and to change, especially folks who had that model to them or believe that society expects them to be that type of a leader that they think is strong, but actually really crosses the line and is dysfunctional and toxic in most every environment I've ever seen. This reminds me of some sales environments that I've witnessed in past decades, where there's extremely high pressure, high competition, and generates a tense, toxic environment. Any comments on that? I know as a customer, that type of high sales turns me off. And so... 
I don't believe that that type of culture and environment creates the type of long-term customer relationships that bring years of money and resources and customer service back in. So that would be my first place to start is to have them look at their data that in fact is this culture and climate create the long-term employee retention and customer retention that you're looking for. If small and medium businesses are just looking for a quick return and profit, they'll burn out their employees and their customers might pay once, but they're not going to be long-term. I believe that you can have effective sales through building relationships and having sales folks help each other, share resources, share ideas and tips. So it's a collaborative learning environment, not a competitive one up, one down. I'm the best. That environment, I think, has been taught in business schools and in other types of organizations for years. And I don't think you have to look too far at the world economy or U.S. economy to realize there has to be another way. And companies and organizations that are creating more of an inclusive, respectful environment, that hire and promote leaders, that learn how to get the best out of their employees, not by fear and not by dictatorial control, but by empowerment and inclusion and respect, the research is showing those environments are getting great profit as well as retention. I think in the short term, some leaders think, I'll just get short-term profit, but they don't realize that if someone leaves, that some can be $100,000, if not more, to search, hire, train, and develop someone so they have the skills of the person they left. And so looking at profit is important in these high, intense sales organizations. But realizing that there are many, many costs of these toxic, dysfunctional environments that have to be filtered in if you really want to create a bottom line that's long-term and transformative. You know, Kathy, when you think about how as individuals, part of the transformational power of coaching and going through a coaching session is that you start to shift from viewing the world and, and looking at external events and what they can do to you as to really starting to be more introspective and thinking, you know, how, as you said about your emotions, you know, what's triggering me? How can I change to have an effect on my environment? How can I change my reaction? And it's almost like this is so hard for people to do. And then that gets reflected in the workplace and just amplified. So the organizations are focused on frequently external things. Like how do I enter this new marketplace? How do I close more sales? How do I increase revenue? And they're not taking a step back organizationally to really make this a point of focus and say, how are we going to change what we're doing to create a better environment where we can be more successful regardless of what markets we enter. And sometimes the executive coaching or executive training, the leader can understand this. And other organizations actually bring teams together to have this conversation, to talk about the current climate and workplace, and then what's our output and productivity innovation, and how could we work more effectively together. More inclusive, respectful workplaces show higher innovation, higher productivity, and much greater collaboration across people, but also across units that are often working in silos. And so customer service is improved when leaders realize if we invest in the people and have authentic, real conversations about what's working, what could be more effective, and then learn these tools to recognize when I feel triggered, when you're triggered, and then how do I engage you differently? As you said, many people need to do some of their inner work with these intrapersonal roots so that when someone else is triggered and maybe they've raised their voice and they're getting much more direct and they're interrupting me, instead of debating and coming back with the same energy, which often escalates into even greater dysfunction, I can learn to pause, ask questions, engage differently, and even say, I notice that we've both gotten triggered here. 
why don't we take a break and come back to this very important conversation once we both had a moment to think about what are the key issues we want to explore with each other. So there are many tools, many skills that people can learn and that teams can negotiate and practice so that they can use them with customers as well as each other so they have far better productivity and performance. Kathy, this has been so inspiring to think about these things today. And if I'm a business owner listening to this show, like, where do I start? I mean, I'm sold. I want to have a more engaged workplace. I know that this is going to lead to developing a more successful organization. Where do we begin? I think a great place to start is for leaders and their employees to read my book. And I would love to give a free copy to any of your listeners. If they read the book, they can also get access to at least 15 additional worksheets, which are on my website, and something I'm very excited about. I developed a 10-minute animated video that just talks about the basic concept of what is a triggering event and why do they happen. And I developed a companion discussion guide. I developed this guide because in many small businesses, it might be more effective and cost-effective to do a lunch and learn using this video with the companion guide. And so if people go to my website, www.drkathyobear.com. So it's drkathyobear.com slash book dash PDF. They can download a PDF of my book and then have access to the video and the companion guide and the extra worksheets. Sharing these with their employees, and they may want to start with their top leaders and talk about their environment, their time in meetings, their time in one-on-one conversation. And then they may want to hold some trainings or conversations with all of their employees so everyone gets the common language and the tools. And they could have other folks download the book or on Amazon. It's only $2.99 as an ebook. It'll come out in paperback later in April. That might be a great investment in their employees. Well, Kathy, we want to thank you so much for your time today and that very generous offer for our listeners. Well, I wish I had a book like this back when I was a manager and leader. I would have done far less harm, and I think the employees would have been far more effective, far more productive, and not dissatisfied with my leadership or the work environments. So I really hope your listeners find these resources helpful. Well, I'm sure they will. And I know Craig and I were just absolutely fascinated by this book. It's called Turn the Tide, Rise Above Toxic, Difficult Situations in the Workplace by Dr. Kathy O'Bear. And our guest today has been author Dr. Kathy O'Bear. You can learn more about Kathy and download her new book, Turn the Tide, Rise Above Toxic, Difficult Situations in the Workplace, with access to more than 15 additional worksheets to use in training and coaching sessions, and a 10-minute animated video and companion discussion guide in our show notes at businessownersradio.com. Thank you for joining us on Business Owners Radio. We hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can read more about each episode along with links and offers in the show notes on our website, businessownersradio.com. We want to hear your feedback. Please leave comments on this show or suggestions for upcoming episodes. Tell your fellow business owners about the show and, of course, you would love the stars and comments on iTunes. Till next time, keep taking care of business.